The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message. Father, here we are before you, Lord. Here we are standing before you, my Father, at your disposal. Speak to us today, Lord. Rebuke us. Challenge us. Strengthen us. Infuse your life in us. Change our lives, O God. Let the name of Jesus be glorified. Honor and glory we give unto you. Honor and glory we give unto you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we are prayed. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Me or Jesus, part four. We're in part four of our series, Me or Jesus. And um, we explained that the, the deepest struggle of, of man, of mankind, is is um, enumerated in what we know as the Ten Commandments. Actually, that they are actually love letters from God to us. And when we align with God and overcome these struggles, we discover that our lives become richer, fuller, more enjoyable. And God is glorified. Last week in part two, we we learned that imagination is good, but imagination cannot reveal God. God is known by revelation. And we saw, quoting Augustine of Hippo, that idolatry is worshipping what should be used rather than using um, or using what should be worshipped. Praise the name of the Lord. Which was a battle with worship. The first was a battle with God, you know. Um, then we also saw that the question is, okay, how do I dethrone these idols? And we explained that, ask yourself this question, what is this for? And that usually would dismantle the, <laughs> the altar that the idol is sitting on. And we need to ask ourselves, as what I have received from God become more important than who he is to me. Idolatry, we said, is an attempt to put God at my disposal. And worship, on the other hand, is putting myself at God's disposal. Today, we are looking at our battle with religion. Our battle with religion. Exodus 20, verse 7. In fact, today we are having a combo. We are going to look at um, our battle with religion and our battle with time. We are going to um, take two together. So, um, are you ready? Exodus 27. Exodus 27. It says, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let him go unpunished. If... You misuse his name. So this commandment is saying to you and I, don't misuse the name of the Lord your God. How you use somebody's name, largely, it, 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 
it's, it's an indication of how the person is to you. How the name is, is used. The way we use a person's name is a clear reflection of our reputation. Their reputation with us and is the same with, with God. The challenge with us is that the world and the enemy really wants us to commonize God's name. To make God's name of non-effect to us. And the reason is because if God's name is not, means nothing to us, then at the end of the day, we have a form of godliness and we don't have the power thereof. That is the definition of religion, if you will. Another definition of religion. Having a form of godliness and denying the power thereof. So you mask the name of God, but that name means nothing to you. And that is religion. You mouth the name of God, but the name means nothing to you. So this commandment is our struggle, our battle with religion, breaking out of, of religion. And if you look at how do we misuse the name of God? We use, misuse the name of God in, in many ways. The, the first way we misuse the name of God, I can look at just talk about four of them, then we'll move on to the other things that we are talking about. The, the first way we misuse the name of God is by commonizing his name. We misuse the name of God when we commonize his name. When his name is just used as an expression or as an exclamation, you know, when, he, when the, the name is common. Looking up the name of Jesus in the concise Oxford English Dictionary. I was shocked. And I'm sure it will shock you. Looking up Jesus in the concise Oxford English Dictionary says that Jesus is a vulgarity. That's the first meaning of Jesus in the dictionary. An exclamation of an expression of surprise or impatience, etc. The way the dictionary arranges the usage of words is, is primary, secondary, tertiary, and on and on. And if you, if you know, they will say one, two, three. So this is the primary meaning of the name Jesus to the English dictionary. But the dictionary is just a reflection of the, the, the culture. So the second meaning is the name of the founder of the Christian religion. The first meaning of the name of Jesus to an English dictionary is what? A vulgarity. And have you noticed in even a lot of movies, some movies, when they mention Jesus, they are blipping it out now. Like, like, like a four-letter word. Why? Because it's, that is what it is to the culture. And it is, the interesting thing is, it's easy to get upset. I mean, initially I wanted to get upset that what nonsense you know, but I, I thought to myself that the dictionary is just showing us who we are, really. The dictionary are just words to reflect the culture. There are words that never existed in the dictionary years ago. They're in the dictionary today. LOL. They're thinking of adding LOL to the dictionary. It's just a reflection of the culture. So it means that we have taken God's name to mean nothing. So much is just a vulgarity. People just say, oh my God, for nothing. 
People are excited. They say, oh, Jesus. People are scared. They are in pain. They are not asking for Jesus to heal their pain. They said, oh my God, oh good God. It means nothing to them. Now, a lady was watching African magic, African magic, African magic. It's just a drama. These people, they've collected their money, they've gone. She was watching African magic and there was a plot to do evil and how they duped somebody and she was like, Jesus! I'm like, why are you shouting Jesus? She said, but don't you see what just happened there? I'm like, so Jesus means nothing. But what? An exclamation. When we commonize the name of God, we misuse his name. So if you are used to saying those kind of things, oh my God, oh God, Jesus, every time you are surprised, you need to ask God for help. For you to overcome it. In fact, start by asking for forgiveness. Then asking God for help. And I want to take it one step further. Ask somebody that does life with you to hold you accountable. Somebody that that you do life with to hold you accountable. I'm saying younger people here. So I won't say other places I have. I I know people use the name of Jesus. Number two, the first way we misuse the name of God is by commonizing it. And God will forgive all of us for that. Say amen. The second way we misuse the name of God is by, is through distorted claims. Distorted claims. We had Christian, Christian crusaders going around killing people hundreds of years ago. That's a distorted claim of the name of God. Today, we have Muslim terrorists saying, if they kill people in the name of God, they'll go to heaven. That's a distorted way of using the name of God. So many people want to have nothing to do with the name of God. Why? Because the people that claim the name of God have distorted the use of that name. Distorted the use of that name. So when we distorts the use of God's name, we misrepresent him to people that don't even know him. The third way we misuse the name of God is through hypocritical claims. We are hypocritical. Again, mainly, you know, religious people, church people, you know, we are hypocritical. We have pedophile priests they say, God bless you on Sunday. And they're abusing young boys on Monday. Hypocritical. Hypocritical. Hypocritical pastors. They lift up only hands on Sunday. And they sleep with somebody else's wife on Tuesday. Hypocritical. Hypocritical church members, they dance before God on Sunday or Saturday evening, depending on which service you attend. But they collect bribe on Wednesday. 
You frustrate people. Except they are paid bribe on Wednesday. Hypocritical. And when we live a hypocritical life, we are misusing God's name. We are misrepresenting him. And the truth is that when we do that, we make his name weightless, as it were. So that name carries no weight anymore. Some guy called David Wells puts it this way. He says, one of the defining marks of our time is that God is now weightless. One of the defining times, marks of our times is that God is now, God is, is now weightless. It's weightless. The name of Jesus means nothing to you. It's weightless. And if God's name has, has no weight in our lives that are Christians, I mean, the truth is, if we love him and his name has no weight in our lives, how will he ever carry weight in the lives of those that do not know him? How? How on earth? You say you're a Christian. I say I'm a Christian. And his weight does not carry his name does not carry weight in our lives. Because we bear his name, we are not constrained to live our lives in ways that we glorify him. Then how can his name mean anything to the world? Why won't the concise Oxford English Dictionary say it's a vulgarity? If, if, if we that we carry his name, that name is not weighty enough to set us straight. You know, I was sharing the first worship experience how some time ago I was driving and I was really burdened while driving. You know, and I was talking to God. You know, I was thinking about some pastor I know, I mean, and the guy, you know, the serial um, adulterer. And, and in, it, was, it never repents. They'll say the grace of God. There's a level of grace that you enter into that you can sleep with anybody's wife and, you know, and you're fine. You know, and, and I was burdened, and I was saying to God, I, now, this is not a holier-than-thou thing, because if God doesn't help anybody, nobody can stand. Do you understand that? So I'm not saying I'm holier than you, but better than I'm just saying, your name, I mean, why is it so rubbish? I was in pain. I, I, and you know what? I felt the Holy Spirit saying to me, he said, said to me, said, it's a good thing you can feel what I'm feeling. I was like, wow, it's a good thing you can feel what I'm feeling. I mean, it's a big deal to God. It's a huge deal to God. The fourth way we misuse his name is... True presumptuous claims. The first name, way is by commonizing it. The second way is by distorting it. The third way is true hypocrisy, hypocritical claims. The fourth way is presumptuous claims. The most common misuse of God's name is the Lord told me. God said. Be careful. Say, God said, just be careful. 
Be careful. Be careful. And again, it's many of us, many of us in church are susceptible to, to this misuse. Why? Because we, we sometimes use it for strange reasons. Some people use it to manipulate other people. Some people use it to control people. Some people, I mean, it, it shared, it, it, someone came to my office back in the day when the office was still, you know, and, and he said to me, introduced himself, the man of God, like, and I greeted him, and he said to me, God said to me to tell you to fund this project I am doing. You know, I said, sir. He said, yes. He said, God told him to come and meet me that thus says the Lord. Tell him to fund this project that you are doing. You know, I mean, my heart broke because <laughs> I'm like, who does this guy think he's talking to? So I said to him, Sir, by God's grace, I, I, I think I spoke to, to him this morning too, you know. And he told me some things I should do and, and that was not part of, of what he had for me to do. What he said will shock you next. He says, are you trying to disobey God? He says, he says to me, I should go into a room and pray. Then I should come out and tell him what God has said. I said, sir, right now, he hasn't told me that. Give me your number. He can even tell me before you leave this office. Even before you get home. But I assure you, as soon as he says so, I'm going to give you a call. He left disappointed, shaking his head. As if I was a rebellious brat. How do we use God's name to try and manipulate people? Now, if if you don't, if people don't know God, you'll be you'll be scared. A man of God told you God said, "Won't you be afraid?" You should be actually. But it's all manipulation. And it's all, I mean, it's so sickening. A lady came to, came to was telling me that, I mean, she comes here and, and she, she says to me she was going to get married to some guy from some church, you know. And she says to me, she, they went for the counseling. And the guys, the pastor after counseling them, later called them, her particularly, to rebuke her, you know. And what was the rebuke? She says that, hasn't, didn't the Holy Ghost tell you to transfer some money to my account? Sad, really. And the, and the girl said, No, I, I worship in God's family house. <laughs> they teach us when we don't do that. <laughs> you can't manipulate me. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. Now, this is so, I mean, you may sit down there and you're like, Oh, this is, can this, do these things really happen? I mean, maybe, I'm sure you know I can't be making up these stories. And, she, and, I, and I asked her just to be sure. Then, I hope you didn't transfer. She said, no, I didn't transfer. I said, good. Don't transfer nothing. Sometimes, well-meaning people feel they must use God's name 
You know how people will use the boss's name to get things done? You know how people will come and say, pastor says you should do this, even though pastor didn't say that. Just because they want to, you know, sometimes people just do that to try and get advantage. And listen, I'm telling you, God is not happy with it. A friend of mine, very spiritual guy, I know him to be very spiritual. He also pastors. Again, came to the house, says, this one came to my house, which means close to me, really close to me. And, and he says to me, oh, he went to the mountain. I don't know if he went to the mountain. I wasn't there. But he said he went to the mountain. And he came back and he says that God said, give me X million naira. <laughs> you know, I smiled. I said to him, that you are my friend. I'm giving you personal examples so that you don't go and mess up God's name. If you had said to me, my brother or my friend, I'm in this fix, give me this X amount of money. I told him I would have given you because I could have given him. And I said, because you have put God's name, unless God tells me, forget it. And I didn't give him a dime. Why? Because, not because I could not have helped somebody that is in need, or my friend that needed, but because I'm, I was ashamed that that name means nothing. You think it's, it's a name to get an advantage. You think it's a name to get to enrich yourself. You think it's a name to use to line your pockets. Something is wrong with that. Something's wrong with that. The, I can't, listen, the number of young men that have come to me, and I mean, it's come to me, you say that God has told you that this lady is your wife. And I'm like, really? Praise God. So when are you guys getting married? And so, so, hey, that's why I've come to meet you. That's why I've come to meet you. So what's my own day? <laughs> so that you can go and tell her. Say, hey, I'm the house boy. <laughs> <laughs> I said, have you spoken to her? No, pastor, she's too arrogant. I say, but you want to marry an arrogant wife? She said, you cannot open your mouth and toast a babe. You want to use spirituality to, to manipulate? Is something not wrong with that? <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. You can't even talk, you can't walk up to her. You don't have the confidence to walk up to her. You don't want to use, does says the Lord. Nothing goes for me out. I know it works like that in some places. You can't receive. They tell the pastor, then if he uses veto, what is that? You know, like I said to you, if this guy has said to me, Pastor, I like this baby. I could have helped you arrange something, you know? You know? <laughs> Maybe I'll give you some tips, you know? <laughs> I can tell you, that one doesn't like flour. Don't go with flour. <laughs> that one is, uh, she may look gentle, but uh, she's khaki, you know? And I, and I, and I, I wonder, how come is all the pretty girls that God is always speaking about? 
We should be very careful about using God's name as an endorsement of our own ideas. We should be careful. So do, does God speak? Absolutely. I'm sure you know that. I mean, I'm not saying God. Can God be clear? Yes, it can be. But you should be humble about it. Many times, you will hear me say, many times, I feel this is what God is saying. I believe this is what God is saying. In fact, I think it was only the last God ringing service when the Holy Spirit said to me, clearly, I mean, he knows that's what I was going to say. He says to me, don't say, I believe or I feel, say, this is what the Holy Spirit says. That's what he said to me. And if you listen to if the words that, that were given at that period, that was just what I said. The Holy Spirit said. But apart from that, I don't. Not because I don't believe God speaks. Obviously, I know God speaks, and I believe God speaks. But you see, we must hallow his name. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We must honor his name. We must respect his name. It's very offensive to God when his name is used as an exclamation. It's distorted or critically used or presumptuously used. It is offensive to God. And many times, you know, if, if you use the... the um, model of the franchise model to explain this if, if you the franchise business model if you run a franchise of a business you take their name you take their, their colors you take their theme you take their logo you take their the ambience you take even if, if it's if it's a food thing their recipe their menu everything and that's what you serve so when people enter a kfc in new york and hopefully, when they enter one in Lagos, hopefully the chicken is the same. That is the idea. Why are you laughing? Is it not the same? <laughs> That's the idea. That the chicken is the same. Now, imagine someone running the KFC um, franchise in Lagos and says that, oh, you know, I need to add a mala to my menu with beggary, you know. You can't do that. The moment you begin to do that, then drop the name. That's how it works. Drop the name. If you can't do that with KFC, why do you think you can do that with the Almighty? It's not going to work. If you're going to carry his name, then you have to serve his menu. (laughs) Praise the name of the Lord. Uh. So the misuse of God's name is not, is not a sure verdict for hell. Like some people think, you know, that once you misuse God's name, you are going to hell. There's no repentance. You know, in, this talked about the name of the Father. Hebrews talked about the name of the Son. John talked about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That if you do, if you misuse any of that, that's a guarantee for hell. No, while it is not. But unless you make the right use of God's name, you will not make heaven. And we need to get that. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Joel 2, 32, Acts 
2.21, Romans 10.13. So God wants us that bear his name to be responsible for the integrity of his name. And, and that is an, an awesome privilege. Isaiah 52, 5-6 says, What is this? Asks the Lord. Why are my people enslaved again? He says, Those who rule them shout in exaltation. Why? He says, My name is blasphemed all day long. And it's a problem. He says, But I will reveal my name to my people and they will come to know its power. Then, at last, they will recognize that I am the Lord who speaks to them. So those who know and love the Lord are custodians of his name, of his reputation on earth. We are custodians of his name. Why? Because people, many people will not read their Bible. They don't even have a Bible. They don't even, they, but they will read you. They will read your actions. They will read your life. And they will say, but you say you're a Christian. So the deepest impression that many people will have of the Lord will come from what they see in you. What they see in you. And many times, if you think about it, even how the enemy does, why is it so for us to minimize God's name. You know why? So that that name will mean nothing to you. So that that name will have no weight in your life. And when that name has no weight in your life, that weight will have no weight in your mouth. The demons tremble at the mention of the name of Jesus. But guess what? Demons tremble at the mention of the name of Jesus in the life of the person whose name has weight. In sons of Sceva come out, they were speaking to demons in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. If Paul says, Come out in the name of Jesus, what happens? The demons will come out. But the sons of Sceva says, Come out, the demons come out. What, is something wrong with the name? In the lives of the sons of Sceva, the name has no weight. So in their mouth, the name can have no weight. But God wants his name to be weighty in our mouths. He wants us to live here and command things to come to pass and they will come to pass in his name. So his name must shape your life. His name must put a constraint on you. If his name cannot put a constraint on you, you cannot use the name to put a constraint on the devil. The name must be weighty. In your life, before it can be useful to you. So we move from our battle with religion to our battle with time. As I'm battling with time right now. (laughs) From verse 8 to 11, it says, Remember to observe the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. You will you have six days each week for your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, 
your livestock, any foreigner living among you. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he what? I can't hear you. He rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. You see, Sabbath traditionally, the Sabbath day is a Saturday traditionally and it still is a Saturday. So that's why you have the Jews, they worship on, on, on the Saturday. That is the day they go to their synagogue and all that stuff. So, but the Christian church, the early church, moved the day of worship, their Sabbath, moved the day of worship to Sunday in honor of Christ's resurrection. So the early church would worship on Sunday in honor of the headship of Jesus. And that is fine by God, and that is fine. So Sunday became the new Sabbath, as it were, the day, the day of rest. So in, in the early church, actually, Sunday was not a work-free day. When they moved it from Saturday to Sunday, they will still go to work. They will come to church early hours, 4 a.m. They will go to work. Then they will come back to church in the evening. It's amazing. It was not until 300 years after Christ or thereabout that Constantine and the Roman, the Roman Emperor changed Sunday to be a work-free day because he wanted to be associated with the church. So, it's now Sunday. But you see, the principle of Sabbath is what we should get. And that is it. That is that God wants you to have a day of rest. Everyone say a day of rest. He wants you to have a day of rest. You know, growing up, we used to fetch water. How many people fetch water growing up? Truthfully, you fetch water growing up. Okay, yeah. yeah some of you are a You did not fetch water growing up. Yeah. Even if you fetch water, you, 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 you use a keg that your driver will put in the car. I'm talking about those that carried water on your head. You know that you make that uh, a jar, you know. <laughs> you put it on your head you know we, we fetch water and so day our head was sapio one of the things we used to do when we fetch water was that is the balancing hats we call it gerige do you guys used to do that so you used to not carry the thing you fetch water on your head and you say who is going to get home without touching the bucket you are asking for trouble because we are so competitive in my family. Everybody wants to go. And the water just keeps tumbling down. Then you have to go back. Then you get home, they will ask you, how come it took you so long? How come you are so wet? You tell them the story, they, they whack you. It's a cycle. <laughs> it's a cycle. But one of the other things we used to do in fetching water with a pail, those pails, you remember them? You know, is, is that we used to fill the water to the brim. We will fill it so that there is no space. It was, I don't know what, I don't know what was wrong with us. I mean, we just, we will push everything to the limit. They will not carry it and put it on our head. They will not be going. 
you want to get home without spilling the, bu- the bucket. But you know that every step you take, you are just one step away from disaster. <laughs> because anything can happen. We fetch the water in a way that there's no leverage. There's no room for turbulence, for adjustment. And that is how many of us have filled our time. We fill our time with stuff until we have no room. We are so filled up in our time that we are literally one step away from disaster. We are so busy. Why don't you come for tribe? Ah, pastor, I'm so busy. I smile. You're busy. We fill everything up until there is no room. And the overfilled bucket of our lives leaves us unable to walk freely. We can't serve God freely. We don't have free time for our family. You can't just sit down on the floor and play with your children. You don't have time. And often we feel that we are just one step away from disaster. We feel overwhelmed. And the battle against time is one of the greatest struggles of, of modern day life. Battle against time. And if you look at this fourth commandment, it's, it's, the, most, it's the longest of the commandment. And it has two parts. The fourth commandment. And the fourth part, the first part is the dignity of work. And the second part is the blessing of rest. God says, six days you will walk. That's the first part of the, of the commandments. It's not, it's not just about the rest. It's hugely about the rest, but without the work, there cannot be rest. And work is a gift. So you need to see your work as an expression of the image of God in you. If you are cleaning, it's an expression of God's image in you. Why? God is a God of order. If you're in security, you're a security person, it's an expression of God because God is protective. If you're a parent, it's an expression of God because God nurtures. Regardless of what you do, as long as it's legal, it's an expression of God. So work is primarily not for making money. Work is primarily not for making ends meet. Work is primarily an expression of God's image in us. If you get that, your life just, you just get it. God did not put Adam in the garden and say, okay, Adam, work in this garden, I will pay you five shillings. Did God say that? The issue of wage was not even there. Why? Because the laborer is worthy of his wages. If Adam works well, the garden will produce. That's how it is. When God was making the heavens and the earth, he did not say, oh, let me make the heavens and the earth so that I will have some money. Let me make the stars so that I can be... Who is going to pay him, by the way? (laughs) So, work is more than a way of making money. Work is about fulfilling the responsibility that God has given you. It's work. Providing for your family, it's work. The responsibility of God, provision, it's work. Verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and everything in them. Now, question, couldn't God have made the heavens and the earth in one day? Could he not have made it? 
even in one instant, even in a fraction of an instant. So why did it take God six days to make the heavens and the earth? Think about it. Why? Why did it take him six days? To teach us that you don't have to do everything in one day. The big lesson. You don't have to do everything in one day. Now, this is a God that can actually do everything in one day. But we, we can't actually do everything in one day and we still want to do everything in one day. Meanwhile, God can do everything in one day and he's showing us not to do everything in one day. And we, we are so limited, we cannot do everything in one day, yet we want to do everything in one day. Yet, that is why our life is so cross-quartered and, and filled up to the brim. And we are so confused, sometimes overwhelmed. So the way God ordered his work of creation shows us the importance of structure to our work. You have to structure your work. Why? Because the less structure that you have in your work, the more overwhelmed that you will feel. The more less structure you have, obviously you feel overwhelmed. Structure it, spread it out, break it down. Learn to see each day as a separate opportunity for work. Verse 9 says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. How many of your work? You know, it says that a woman's work is never done. Have you heard that before? By the time she finishes the office, she needs to get home, take care of her husband, take care of her children, take care of the home. You know, women are just superheroes. You know. The hardworking one. A caveat. (laughs) But you see, the truth is that even at that, a woman's work can be done in one day. God says, do all your work. After six days, do all your work. Does that mean after six days, does that mean there's no more work to be done? There's always work to be done. There's always clothes that needs to go to the laundry. There's always, there's always something to be done. So what is God saying? God is saying that you must learn to have closure as far as work is concerned. You must learn to stop working. I mean, it's tough for some of us. I mean, I mean, I struggled with this a lot. I mean, I used to struggle. I don't struggle as I used to anymore. Why? Because I, for, I'm wired to work. If I see you, I think you don't have work. By the time I finish giving you work, eh? Next time you see me, I'm going to take another. <laughs> because, and I, and I load people with work. I used to. I still do, but I'm, I'm wiser now. And I'll tell you, I mean, as, as we go on. God enjoyed his completed work at the end of the day, and you should too. God wants us to stop and enjoy. Even he made, after the first day, he still had, he has not made the fishes, he has not made the, but he said, ah, this is good. Meanwhile, he hasn't made human beings, and he said it was good. He stopped and he appreciated his work. He enjoyed his work. Even after he made man, he says very good. Even though he still had to go back and, and had woman to it. Many of us, we, we, we are so driven 
that we don't even enjoy our work. And many times I feel burdened personally by what I have to do tomorrow more than I find pleasure in what God has already enabled me to do today. And that's the story of many of us. We are so burdened with what we have to do tomorrow. Just calm down. As you, there are people here, even while worship was going on, they are thinking about Monday. If I say you should raise your hand, just be embarrassing. You'll be surprised at the number of people. Some people are here, they're thinking about the home. Okay, lunch. Okay, we do this, we do that. We do that. Calm down. Calm down. Calm down. Enjoy God's presence. Enjoy, you know. <laughs> and God wants us to have the blessing of rest. The blessing of rest. In verse 11, it says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. He did what? Now, this is God, the almighty God. The one that does not sleep or slumber. He created the heavens and the earth. Then on the seventh day, he rested. Why did God put that word rested there? He could have said he stopped. He could have said he paused. After all, Jesus says, my father works, it is to I work. So the father is still creating stuff and he's still making things happen. He's still healing. He's still delivering. God is still working. So why is it that on the seventh day, the Bible says, he rested. Simple. God is saying to you and I, if I can rest, who are you not to rest? Really? Why are you not to rest? Oh, pastor, I'm busy. Oh, I have this business. Listen, by God's grace, I'm like a serial entrepreneur. And you know, which means, and I know what it is. Businesses have teaching periods and all that stuff. But guess what? You cannot be busier than God. You cannot, you cannot be more important than God. The most important person stopped and rest. Why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't you? Why shouldn't you? I used to feel very guilty. Every time I stop to rest, very guilty. I, I jump up again. I mean, I said to myself, look, listen. Try it. The world will be gone without you. Just try it. Pretend one day not to be available. You will notice that the sun will still rise. NTA will still come on air. Life will go on. Praise the name of the Lord. So rest is the enjoyment of completed work. I've shared my, my system, my model of rest with you guys. I've shared again. I deflect daily. I withdraw weekly. I abandon annually. I deflect daily. There are things I do every day to deflect. I withdraw weekly. Every week, I withdraw. Annually, I abandon. I mean, that's the only way to remain fresh. That's the only way to remain and many times you think you are busy, 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 busy. And you are struggling, 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 struggling. And guess what? Heaven has been trying to get one idea to you that will change your life. But because you are not resting, it can't, it can't reach you. Many people, you just need to sit down and boom, you see it. God has opened it. 
Amen. So find time and rest. Tell your neighbor, find time and rest. Rest should not be the privilege of those that can afford it. Students, rest. If you are resting, a student, stop studying. Don't read. Just go and play. If you walk with your hand, your work is physical. Don't rest with your body, physical activity. Rest with your mind. Play chess. Do stuff that mentally stimulating. If you're an executive, you sit down most of the time. You think, you strategize, you give queries. You should rest with physical activity. Go play golf. Go play soccer. And on, and on, and on. God wants us to enjoy our rest. Enjoy your rest. And this paradigm, you need to get it. What I'm about to share now, if you get it, it will really help you. We do not rest so that we will be able to walk. We walk so that we'll be able to rest. And if you get that, it's big because, you know, many times we think, oh, you said, I've heard this man say to my wife, let me rest, you know, I have work tomorrow so I can walk. No, that's the wrong mindset. You don't rest so that you can walk. You walk so that you can rest and enjoy your family. And the reason many of us cannot rest is because we have not walked. We are toiling, but we have not walked. When we walk, rest is next. A Jewish writer, Abraham Eshkel, says that Sabbath is the climax of living. You know, and, and you know, it's so beautiful. The Sabbath, Sabbath, rather, is the climax of living. We need to find our work in order to find our rest. The reason you are not finding rest, even though you are inactive. Inactivity is not rest. You can be inactive and be unable to rest. You can be idle and be in the house all day, but you have not rested. You are even more tired than the person that has been working. The reason is because we need to find our work before we can find our, our rest. Glory to Jesus. We need to find our work before we can find our, our rest. And if you look at scripture, what, what the Lord was saying and sharing with us, we, we see a pattern from scripture. God wants us to not only rest and enjoy our rest, God wants us to share our rest. Verse 10. It says, this includes you, and you alone. You, your sons and daughters alone. You, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants. Then, if you have a dog, your dog too must rest. Your livestock must rest. Every foreigner living among you must rest. God wants us to share our rest. So it's not only a girl, madam, resting upstairs. Everybody else is slaving 24 hours, 7 days a week. No. God is saying, 
You need to share your rest. God has called us to share the blessing of rest with everyone in our sphere of influence. You need to share your rest. You need to make sure, if you employ people, you need to make sure everyone rests, everyone finds time to rest. It's your responsibility. And it's interesting. God wants us to share our rest. We can help other people find rest. How? You know, we have single mothers amongst us. I mean, I think one of the toughest jobs on earth is single parenting. I think we should clap for all the single mothers. I, I don't think there's any single father amongst us. If you're a single father, let me see. <laughs> I mean, it's one of the toughest jobs on earth. Believe me. Guess what? We can help a single parent find rest by saying, bring the children to my house. Take this voucher, go to the spa, have some time to yourself. Let this child or these children stay in my house overnight. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We can help ourselves find rest. We can share our rest. You can help someone that just started a business and the business is in a tough state. You can help him find rest. For instance, the example I gave was if somebody is um, riding as this keke business, the, the Mawa business, and the person is remitting how much weekly or daily? Let's say the person remits 15K daily. I don't know. Or 20k daily. How much did they remit? Okay, don't worry. Let's say hypothetically 20k daily. And the person has to walk back to back Monday to Monday just to make the payment so that one day he can have his own bike. You can help the person find rest. How? By saying, How much are you paying in a day? 20k. Okay, you know what? Take this 20k, make your payment to your boss. You just go and rest. Well, I, I know what you're thinking. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. But like I said to them, at the first first experience, make sure the keke is packed in your house. <laughs> make sure it's packed in your house while he goes to rest. Because the hustler in him. But you see, honestly, we can actually think, look around you. There are people that need rest. Help them find rest. And God will be glorified. So helping another person find rest actually gives glory to God. Walk, no they finish. Walk, no they finish. So while we have not and cannot complete our work, Guess what? He has completed his work, Jesus. He says on the cross of Calvary, it is. That's why he can say to us, come unto me, all ye that labor. And I every laden, and I will give you, and I will give you rest. So are you burdened today? Are you carrying a load, not, not to be carried. Jesus says, come. 
I will give you rest. I close with this story. It's a story that I, I've shared a couple of times. But see, every time I recall the story, it always blesses me. There's always something in my life that I, needed to, I need to shed. I need to put down. The story of an old woman that was carrying a log of wood on her head and walking a long distance. And a young man driving a truck saw the woman carrying the log and said to the woman, Ah, mama, where are you going? And she says, Oh, I'm still going X number of kilometers this direction. The boy says, that's where I'm going. You can enter. So she enters the back of the pickup and the boy was driving. And the guy looked back on the red mirror and saw mama was sitting down, but she was still carrying the log on her head. And the boy packed and went to mama and said, mama, you know, you can put on the log and have some rest. Mama says, my son, you have tried. You have carried me. Let me carry the log. So I said to myself, Femi, how many logs are you carrying that you ought to have laid down? How many things are you carrying? Even though you are saying Jesus is carrying you, but you are carrying it. When you can actually put it down. Let's bow our hearts and bow our heads. Many of us, we need to put it down. We need to put it down. We need to put it down. What is it? That you are carrying. For many of us, we need to take a lift. Jesus is saying, Come and find rest. Like that, Mama, we need to agree to get on that ride. You need to be born again. Or you're saying, I used to be born again, but Pastor, I need to get it right with God. You want to come back to God. I want to pray with you. You don't need to come forward. Wherever you are seated, that is me, Pastor. Pray with me. Put up your hand over your head now. Quickly, I will pray. Put up your hand. Put up your hand. God bless you. Over there. God bless you. Over there. Keep it up. God bless you. Keep the hands up. God bless you. Keep the hands up and we pray. That is me, Pastor. Pray with me. Shoot it. God bless you at the back. God bless you over there. That is me. God bless you. Keep the hands up. The rest of us, let's say to the Lord, help me. God bless you. If you are putting up your hand, put it up well, 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 well. God bless you. God bless you right there. God bless you right there. God bless you. Keep the hands up until you get the card. Once you have the card, you can put on the hand. Let's, have, let's talk to God about what we have heard. Are we like that old woman? We, Jesus is carrying us, but we are still carrying load. There are things you are worried about. There are things you are carrying. And he wants you to lay it down. Lay it down today, my brother. Put it down today, my sister. Oh, Father, we pray for everyone that is coming to you today afresh. We ask that you breathe upon this world, change their lives, my Father. We pray for every one of us. The grace not to misuse your name, and the grace to find our walk so that we can find our rest. Give unto us. Honor and glory we give unto you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we are prayed. Amen. Let's pronounce together for the Lord for his kindness and his mercies.